on the whole I've been a saint to those poor unfortunate souls. Trick or treat. Surprise. It's us. <laughs> We're back. <laughs> So this is our first ever bonus episode that we are bringing you, and it's because it's Halloween, and you deserve it from us. (laughs) As you probably know, this is Poor Unfortunate Podcast. I'm Connor Perkins. And I'm Caroline A. Meddy. And we're your hosts for this journey into some spooky, creepy, weird, unsettling things in Disney. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say we were the ghost host. <laughs> <laughs> so in this episode, we are going to tell you a couple of stories either about ghosts, supernatural occurrences, strange deaths, weird accidents that have happened inside Disney Park, specifically Walt Disney World and Disneyland. And this idea was originally pitched to me by my cousin the day we launched our first episode. <laughs> and I pocketed that shit we and did. have held on to it <laughs> until the time was right. And I felt like this is the right time. So yes. Caroline and I have each brought together two stories to tell you. One that has something to do with like ghosts and spookies and one that is more about a sort of like strange, accidental, creepy death that has happened in Disney parks. And I want to say up front, this isn't our way of of sort of just like showcasing, flaunting, poking fun of or anything like that. Any sort of actual tragedy that has happened in Disney parks. I think one of the things that interests me very much, and I can probably say the same for Caroline, is the fact that in the happiest place on earth, terrible things can still happen. Mm-hmm. And that is the sort of paradox that we're leaning into with this episode to sort of bring out some of the Halloween creepy vibe that exists in real world Disney. So yeah, that being said, settle in. We're going to tell you a couple creepy, unsettling, sometimes spooky stories as our way of saying happy Halloween to you. Yes. Uh, My ghost story, I mean, this is me, y'all. It's Caroline. You know how I feel. I'm, I'm, you know, without being like gross about this, you know, I, I like spooky things. I like sometimes things that are unsettling. So both of mine involve, unfortunately, deaths. So just this, I mean, as a content warning, just know that we're going to be talking about that. If that's something that really disturbs you, I would, I would just skip it. I'll tell you a really pleasant, quick one at the very end, so you can not have nightmares. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or we'll have another bonus for episode for you, maybe around Christmas time. We'll do Night Night Stories like for Christmas time. <laughs> yeah, we'll do Night Night Stories. <laughs> Actually, I think we should. I'm making a mental note. Um, so uh, for this little mini episode, I am focusing my two stories on occurrences at Disneyland. So let's jump into the first one. So my Disneyland ghost story focuses around the Matterhorn. So before I get into the main story, it's interesting to note that the Matterhorn is the site of Disneyland's first fatality in 1964. 15-year-old Mark Maples tried to stand up in his bobsled after his seatbelt was unfastened. He struck his head and fell from the sled and passed away from his injuries a few days later. 
that was the first person to ever pass away at Disneyland. But the most famous story of the Matterhorn centers around 48-year-old Regina Dolly Young. And there is now a portion of the Matterhorn that is called Dolly's Dip, and it's named after her. Oh, my gosh. So Dolly was riding alone in the last car of the Matterhorn, and her seatbelt was unfastened. It was never determined whether she undid her seatbelt or if it came undone accidentally. My belief after what you're going to hear is that she undid her seatbelt. I really don't know why, but there are a few theories. Some say that she was trying to assist a child who was sitting ahead of her in her vehicle. Some people, it's turned into a bit of an urban legend at this point. Some people are saying that she was trying to check on her own children, but I think it would have been confirmed if the children were in her own children were in the vehicle with her. So Dolly had her seatbelt undone and she went to stand up. Whether that was to assist a child or to do something else, we are not sure. She stood up right at the point in the Matterhorn, the only point where tracks cross each other and the ride dips underneath another part of the track. Uh. The ride dipped, it threw her forward, and she hit her head on the cross track above her, the one portion of the ride where this happens, as I said, and she fell out of her sled. At this point, she was unconscious, but she was still alive. Unfortunately, she died a few moments later when she was struck by another oncoming bobsled. Oh my god. Now imagine being the people in that bobsled. That's what I could uh, I couldn't stop thinking about that this whole time. Yeah, you have no control over the vehicle. You can't stop it. Nope. And you also know what's going to happen. Yeah, and it's it's not terribly dark in the Matterhorn either, so yeah. you would probably be able to see what was happening. Oh god. Supposedly, her body was lodged in so tightly under the vehicle that the track had to be taken apart to retrieve her body. Oh, my God. Yeah. Cast members say that when they found her, there was no blood, just her feet and legs sticking out from under the bobsled. Like I said, the story has taken on a bit of an urban legend quality because it's it, it's unclear why she would have undone her seatbelt and stood. When it's happened before, like I said, in 1964 – Mark, who unfortunately passed away, he was a 15-year-old. You know, sometimes you're a teenager, you're not going to make the right choice. Yeah. But Dolly was 48 years old. It is unclear why she would have undone her seatbelt. Now, yeah. Disney claims after Dolly's death, the seatbelt system in the Matterhorn was changed. Disney claims that this was because the company that made the original style of seatbelts went out of business, so they wouldn't be able to order replacements. A lot of people don't think that is true. Um, but there is proof when they inspected the vehicle that no moorings of the seatbelt had been loosed. So it wasn't like she was belted in and then something broke and she and her she was able to move from the vehicle. It is pretty evident that the unbuckling was done by her. Now, cast members say that they feel Dolly's ghost inside of the ride, especially near Dolly's dip. And especially in the middle cavernous section of the ride. There, many cast members say that they hear wailing. Other cast members who are assigned to end-of-the-day duties that involve walking the track to retrieve lost items say they feel like they are being watched as they do so, especially when they are near Dolly's dip. Some just describe a feeling of being watched. Some feel cold spots in the air. Some hear things. And some cast members even refuse to go near the dip or the cavern. Even if they're put on uh, track walking duties, 
they won't go over there. Um, so it's still, it's pretty much just an unsolved mystery. We've had two deaths on the Matterhorn, which led some people to claim that the Matterhorn was cursed. Um, I don't believe that's the case. Okay. I, yeah, I feel like that's <laughs> a little bit of a stretch. Where yeah. it's like I don't believe so. It does so. seem like that both of these people, the reason why their deaths occurred were in some way not following proper safety protocol. Mm-hmm. While tragic the deaths were, it doesn't seem like there's anything yes. like mysterious yes. really about it. But I definitely I'm fully on board with these cast members feeling like some sort of mm-hmm. negative energy there. Yeah, because you know what? Here's the thing is even if you don't fully believe in ghosts, I do believe that something tragic happening like that in such a specific spot. There's just going to be residual energy, even if you don't believe yep. in spirits. Yep. It's going to hold on to that shit. Yeah, there are there are a lot of other more like silly sounding ghosts who are around in Disneyland. Like there's one um around uh, in uh, Space Mountain, who seems like a very whimsical dude. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to talk about this one. So it, it's unclear what her what this ghostly personality is. But I do think it's notable because now there's a section of a ride named after this woman and now supposedly spirit Dolly's Dip that you can pass by when you're in the ride and kind of know what that is, which I find to be very spooky. So there you go. Wow. Alrighty. Well, my first story that I'm going to s- tell you all is not a ghost story. It is an, a tragic incident that happened and one that is not actually caused by any sort of ride malfunction. And this is the story of Alan Ferris. So in 1992, Alan Ferris was a 37-year-old man living in Winter Park Woods Apartments in Winter Park, Florida. He was a burly man who was working for a moving company and was in a relationship with 33-year-old Barbara Krause, who was a security guard at Epcot. Neighbors described Ferris as being a teddy bear type of guy, which I can relate to. (laughs) Um, And he would always have a smile and a handshake. Alan and Barbara had moved in together to her home in Palm Bay in late 1987 before ultimately moving to Winter Park. And in July 1992, Barbara ended their relationship of eight years, and Alan quickly moved on a path to tragedy. Oh, boy. It's unclear what was the motivating factor for the separation, but it has been said that some neighbors were aware of financial issues with the couple. And on July 30th, after a fight, Barbara broke up with Alan, and shortly thereafter, he attempted suicide. Uh, Alan survived that suicide attempt, but it's been reported that Barbara sought out a restraining order to keep Alan away. Eventually, he moved back to Rochester, New York, where his family lived, and he lived there for a few months until Thursday, September 12th, 1992, when he told his brother that he would be going away for a wedding that weekend. But that was a lie. Mm. On Saturday, September 14th, 1992, at 10.30 p.m., an hour and a half after closing, Alan Ferris showed up at the main gate of Epcot, demanding to see Barbara. The security guard that he met refused to let him enter the park. Two other guards came over and confronted Alan, to which he responded by pulling a 12-gauge shotgun with the stock cut off from a nylon bag. He fired three shots at one of the unarmed security guards who was able to get away unharmed. 
The two other security guards attempted to run, but Allen stopped them in their tracks with another shot. He proceeded to take both of those security guards hostage and house them in the restroom near the journey into the imagination pavilion. <gasps> yeah. Oh. A place that I'm sure many of us have mm-hmm. been. Yep. Interestingly enough, the Orlando Sentinel, who I relied on mostly for the information in this story, they noted that the journey into the imagination pavilion was sponsored by Kodak, which ironically has its headquarters in Rochester, New York, mm-hmm. where he's from. Yeah, just like a weird, mm-hmm. odd little tidbit. So Alan holed himself up in that restroom with his two hostages And he held those two security officers there for about 10 minutes before police officers surrounded the restroom and demanded that he release the hostages. Thankfully, he did release them and then eventually exited the restroom himself with the shotgun pointed towards his head. Oh. He walked around the pavilion holding the gun to his chest yelling, shoot me, shoot me, you're going to have to kill me. And then just a few moments later, he pointed the gun to his head and fired. Even as officers attempted to administer first aid, Alan struggled with them. And when he arrived via helicopter to the hospital, he was pronounced dead on arrival. Wow. Yeah. Fortunately, there were no guests or cleaning crews who were in the park at the time of the incident. And all of the officers who were involved were not harmed. So this was truly... A miracle huh. within a tragedy. And working at Disney, like you ever expect to deal with that. My God. Exactly. The security guards, they're not armed. Like oh, they don't gosh. have, they don't, mm-hmm. I, I mean, at this time, like they didn't have weapons. That's not how, mm-hmm. that's not really what they go into work expecting. Um, Alan's friend from Florida, his neighbor, Van Smith, said when hearing this news that, quote, he was a big man, but he got pushed to the limit. Something just happened to set him off, unquote. So this is a real tragedy for Mm -hmm. everyone involved. And I don't share it to romanticize anything in it or look at it with judgment. But this is a story that when I was reading about incidents at Walt Disney World, this one really just stuck with me. And I think Mm -hmm. mostly because it's like, I know where this is. Like, I know where all this happened and never in a million years would I have ever entertained the possibility that something like this would happen. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing that sort of like gives me the creeps, that gives me the heebie-jeebies of like Disney World, even more so than Disneyland or any other Disney park, is meant to feel like its own thing, like its own perfect place. And this just goes to show that no matter how hard anyone can try to keep the real world out of this massive property that's meant to spread joy and happiness, it will always find a way in. Mm-hmm. So that's the story of Alan Ferris. This one is definitely a dark one. And I just want to say, because this story deals with difficult content, if you or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide or in distress and need someone to talk to, please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. They have professionals standing by to offer you help, prevention support, and crisis resources for you or your loved ones because the world is better with you in it. Mm -hmm. All right. 
shaking that one off. Uh, Your story. Go all ahead. Right. So <laughs> tied to that, mm-hmm. this one is also very tragic. And again, I do not share this to make light of this tragic incident. I, I don't share it to bring up something that's gruesome. To me, this is a story that stuck with me because, like you said, um, I know where this happened in the park. And to me, this specifically highlights the fact that cast members, I mean, and unfortunately, it it made me think of what's happening at the parks now. Cast members um, sometimes put themselves in danger to do their job. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's something that we need to remember that cast members need to be looked after, too. It's not just about the safety of the guests. It's about the safety of the cast members. So with that being said, this is the story of Deborah Stone, who used to work at Disneyland. So in 1974, Deborah, or Debbie, as she was called, graduated high school, and she took a job as a Disneyland hostess to save money for her first semester at Iowa State University. She worked at the America Sings attraction, which um, had been the Carousel of Progress. I Oh, God. I saw. Oh, this one's a lot. Yeah, this one. I mean, again, I couldn't get it. I I felt strange talking about it, um, but I I couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. Um, number Those one, are the stories that need to be told. Yeah. The ones that you can't stop thinking about need to be told. Yeah, especially because this was an 18-year-old girl who had so much potential, whose life was just beginning, who was there to prepare for the rest of her life, and who had always yeah. wanted to work at Disneyland. Also, I think one of the reasons this stuck in my mind is because um, I know a little bit about America Sings because once that attraction was shut down, they took some of those audio animatronics and put them in Splash Mountain and they're creepy. (laughs) So there's just a creep factor with America Sings. America Sings has always rubbed me the wrong way. I don't like it. I can't explain why. So uh, the Carousel of Progress attraction in Disneyland was redesigned to become a new attraction, America Sings in 1974. And so it's an automated musical extravaganza that pays tribute to the musical history of America. It featured four major musical acts with medleys of period tunes sung by animatronic creatures. Like I said, they rub me the wrong way. I don't like them. (laughs) You can find some uh, footage of them on YouTube. There's something just otherworldly about them that I don't like. Um, (laughs) So like the Carousel of Progress, There are six stages in the nucleus of the ride with six audiences that rotate around it. And there was a hostess on the left side of each stage that greeted and then said farewell to each audience. The theaters moved counterclockwise, so the walls moved towards each other on the left-hand side of the stage and closed in place. Um, And so when Carousel of Progress was in operation, the walls moved clockwise, and the hostess would be standing safely behind the moving theater's wall as the next theater's left-hand wall approached. On July 8th, 1974, this was only a few days after the America Sings attraction had opened. It was brand new. Um, Debbie called her parents before her shift, and she asked them for their permission for her to get engaged. So it was a really happy day for her. There are some differing stories around this. Some people say that she had asked her parents that day for permission to get engaged. Some people said that that day she was already wearing an engagement ring. There are a lot of different stories around this. And my guess is that it's because this must have been such a tragedy for her parents that it's like, who's going to go to them and be like, can you please tell us, like, was she engaged? Was she wearing a ring? So around 10.30 p.m. that night, 
a guest in an adjacent theater of the attraction heard a blood-curdling scream and got the attention of the ride operators. It turns out that Debbie had been crushed between the stage and a moving wall. And to this day, no one is quite sure how this happened. And here are a couple of possibilities. Some reports indicate uh, that Debbie had leaned around a theater wall to speak to a fellow cast member and never saw the stationary wall approaching from behind her. Some people say that she might have been attempting for some reason to jump from one stage to the other and miss the timing. Or she may have been distracted and stepped backwards without noticing the wall. Whatever the reason is, the fact remains that Debbie, unfortunately, was crushed as the rotating wall closed against the stationary one. There's even a story around that says that she was showing off her engagement ring to an adjacent hostess and so wasn't paying attention to the timing. Who knows? I mean, if that is true, I mean, who wouldn't be distracted trying to show your friend your engagement ring? I mean, that makes it all the more tragic, too. But it's strange to me because it seems like a hard thing to miss. But who knows? You work in the attraction, you think you know how it works, and you get comfortable. Who knows? After the incident, Disneyland closed the ride for two days, and the stage on which Debbie passed away remained closed for a year. Later, and this is part of the reason I want to share this story too, is it's like at least something came out of this and prevented some future tragedies. Um, the stages were installed with sensory lights to warn the operator if something went too close to the walls. Uh-huh. And additional changes were made by fixing the breakaway walls in case the sensors failed. So so they weren't solid walls anymore. They were breakaway. So if anything was going to give way, it was going to be the wall. Um, And the ride remained in operation until 1988. Um, And then it was shut down and the building remained obsolete until it was refurbished in 1998 for interventions. Debbie's parents were, of course, heartbroken by her death. But her mother noted that she had had a feeling when Debbie graduated high school that she was saying goodbye to her and she couldn't quite explain why. Oh my God. I know. I, I think that's the part that I think I hate most of all. I know. So some cast members and guests have claimed that in that area, but mostly when the America Sings attraction was still operating, that they heard a voice saying, be careful. <sighs> um, and so I, 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 one, one of the things I really appreciated reading about this was how much these stories highlighted what a wonderful person Debbie was. She had graduated with like top honors in high school and her school, um, made an award in her name and built a pool in her name. Um, and it just goes to show, I think it's, it says a lot about Disney cast members. I think so many Disney cast members are these people. They're wonderful people who are doing their best. We're trying to make their lives as wonderful as possible and to make the guest experiences as wonderful as possible. Yeah. Um, and I think I want to walk away from this story remembering that. Yeah. <sighs> All right. <sighs> um, so our final story for this bonus episode is a lot lighter than what we've been working with. And I wanted to end with something light and spooky. So this is the story of George, the ghost of Pirates of the Caribbean in Walt Disney World. So this is more of an urban legend and a ghost story rather than one of hard facts that can be backed up with any sort of concrete evidence. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of stories online with differing accounts of this ghost, George, who haunts Pirates of the Caribbean in Walt Disney World. 
The foundation of the story is consistent in that during the construction of Pirates of the Caribbean, a welder by the name of George was killed in an accident. Some versions of the story say that he was killed when a beam fell and crushed him. And then others claim that he fell from the burning city scene of the ride and he died. From that point on, George has been said to haunt the ride and has manifested in various strange occurrences on the ride. Some people claim that George acts out whenever he is disrespected or Mm. the ride has been disrespected. So people not following rules, taking pictures with Flash, um, Mm. people with bad attitudes. (laughs) For all of that, though... The type of ghost that he is, being a disciplinarian, like, I'm here for it. Like I was going to say, so far, so good. <laughs> that's the kind of ghost I want. I'm like, you keep these gu- these guests in fucking line. Like, you that's going to be you happen. and me. I know. You know I'm that, gonna, right? I'm going to haunt I don't know what Disney attraction World. I'm going to be at. Um, I mean, you might just be on Main Street, like, yelling at all the people who are, like, getting into fist fights during the fireworks. Like, you'll you'll just <gasps> drag them yes, out by... because, the- y'all, that happened to me when I was in Disneyland. That is... Thank you. That's it. <laughs> that's, that's what you're going to be. You're going to, like, full-on, like, levitate these dudes, like high in the air and just like crack them together and fall like (laughs) land them on the ground yes that's gonna be you anyway back to george my disciplinarian ghost friend apparently he really gets displeased when guests take flash pictures on this dark ride so according to a user named marlon g on disboards.com and yes i did a full-on deep dive into this story yes yes In 2013, she and her brother were riding Pirates of the Caribbean and had just gone through the mist waterfall with the new Blackbeard projections for On Stranger Tides. She decided that she was going to take a flash selfie of the two of them since they were in the back of the boat. And she claims that in the picture that she got, you can see the outline of a figure in the mist. That is not the projection of Blackbeard. When they took the photo to cast members, they were told that it was George and (gasps) that he doesn't like to have his picture taken. (gasps) Now, I found the picture and I looked at it. Okay. And I can certainly see the outline that spooked them. Like, Uh. it doesn't, you don't have to distort your eyes too much to see this. Like, in some ghost adventurers, like ghost hunters BS stuff, they're like, didn't you hear them say that? And I was like, say what and they're like it said the color of the sky is blue let's play the audio back and it's just like yes exactly and they're like didn't you hear it it's so clear no looking looking at this picture i'm like yep that definitely looks like a man's face Mm -hmm. another run-in with george happened with a guest who goes by jq so jquue on disboards who took a photograph in the queue of the two skeletons who are deadlocked in the game of chess. Mm-hmm. And they claim that floating above the chessboard, you can see a spirit orb. Oh. So for those of you who don't really know that much about like ghosts and stuff like that, sometimes when you take a picture of a spirit, it manifests as these like strange orbs of light. Totally believe that. I looked at this picture too. It certainly could be a spirit orb, mm-hmm. but honestly, Thinking about the lighting in there and uh, dust, it's yeah, probably right. <laughs> more right. likely to be a lens flare or like some yeah. sort of like weird refraction of light on a piece of dust. 
uh-huh. rather than a spirit orb. Because I've seen some pictures of like spirit orbs mm-hmm. that like friends have captured mm-hmm. in like actually haunted places. Yep, me too. And this one looked a little bit too flimsy. But I was like, you know what? I'll entertain this. Other manifestations of George include people hearing footsteps when no one is there, a ghostly figure looking down from the Spanish fortress in the siege sequence, mysterious phone calls from an empty control room, a ghostly chill as you enter the burning city sequence and pass by the hairy-legged pirate. People say that like once you get there, either the ride breaks down or you feel this really, really cold chill that's unlike anywhere else in the ride. Maybe an airbag. I don't know. Um, Wow. But more often than not, George is said to manifest in random and strange breakdowns of the ride. Hmm. Some versions of the George legend say that if the tower light is on in the Birding City sequence nicknamed George's Tower, there is going to be a lot of difficulty with the ride for that day. Wow. Now, other versions say that if the door next to the dog that holds the keys in the prison sequence is not closed by a cast member, you can also expect to see some misbehaving in George that day. (gasps) Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. So while Disney doesn't officially recognize George as a ghost or can even confirm that a George ever existed because there were no reported deaths during the construction of Pirates of the Caribbean, Mm. cast members are known to wish George a good morning and a good evening as a way of staying off any unexplained ride malfunctions during the day or parts of the ride turning on unexpectedly during the night and running until morning. No, not that. Oh, Which I'm not like, that, that is probably <laughs> going to be like the most horrifying thing. No, to like not that. Walk into your job and just no. like hearing like dead run. Like, fuck no. No, no, no I see no, no, that's no, no. the thing. None of this. None of this. I could <laughs> never work any of these rides, even if it's a fun ride. Like it's a small world. Never. I mean, no. Haunted Mansion alone, like. I I don't know. I, you could not pay me to do that walkthrough. No, no way. No way. No. no. Or at least not pay me what they're paying those cast members. I'm sorry. <laughs> exactly. There um, it is. So, I mean, I'm not a cast member, and I haven't been there myself in terms of, like, shutting down the ride or some of the stories that cast members have experienced. But I'm also prone to believing in a good ghost story because like fuck yeah why not mm-hmm. yeah but based on my experiences of ghosts i'm leaning more on the side of george probably not existing mm-hmm. but that being that being said i wouldn't rule out some sort of haunting happening in that building because if there's anything we know <laughs> it's that tragedy and the real world do find their way into the happiest place on earth. And so Mm. of all of the things that I have read about George and hauntings of Pirates of the Caribbean, this account that I'm about to give you seems to jive most with me and Mm -hmm. be something that I can get behind. And this comes from user SodaPop51090 on Disboards as a comment on the picture of the alleged orb. So this is what they say. I was a CM, cast member, at Pirates of the Caribbean a few years ago. I would get questions all the time about George. The truth is, 
there isn't enough evidence to back up any George story. There certainly could have been someone named George who was involved with the construction of the ride in the early 70s, but there's no way for us to know. As far as the ride breaking down, when you say George or ask about him or whatever, newsflash, it's a 40-year-old ride. The thing hasn't had a major mechanical update in over 20 years. It's going to break down. I'm convinced sometimes it would break down if you looked at it the wrong way. (laughs) Now, I will say this about Pirates. Though most Disney ghost stories have been debunked, I do believe there is something in that building other than rats, mold, and smelly pirates. Mm -hmm. There are sections of the ride where no one would go, not even managers. We all felt this overwhelming sense of dread and sorrow. Eventually, we weren't allowed to go to those places anymore for safety reasons. Also, please don't take it the wrong way. If you ask a CM about George and they say he's not real or they're short with you, most of us, myself included, would have loved to share a cool ghost story with you. However, other guests have ruined that. And according to management, they have to act like they've never heard the George stories. Oh, wow. (laughs) So that's what this cast member says. And I tend to believe the cast member over the guest Because I feel like Mm -hmm. a lot of guests are kind of like looking for things where the cast members are like, I'm just trying to do my job. And -hmm. if something spooky happens, it feels a little bit more legitimate. Mm -hmm. And while I don't necessarily think a concrete story of this welder named George may exist, like I said before with the Matterhorn, I am all about that sort of like energy sort of thing, picking up energy, blah, 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 blah. And... Those places where you feel overwhelming dread or sorrow, like they say, they exist. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was in Pirates. Mm-hmm. That place. I was going to say, if I think of somewhere, that's what I would think of. Yeah. Pirates is big. Pirates Hard is to dark. Explain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. that seems to be the place. Yeah. So that's my that's my story about George, the ghost of George. Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Do you? Yes, I have a nice thought to finish that with. I think George right. is really nice too because he's a little bit, you know, whimsical. I love yeah. um, and fake. <laughs> something that's very pure. I find um, people believe that there is a lady in white in Disneyland um, who is a. People see a figure of a woman in a kind of a white Victorian gown who wanders around Main Street, and allegedly she helps lost children find their way to the baby yes. care center. So that I've they can be reunited the with their parents. And yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. I just said that. And I got goosebumps. And I kind of wanted to cry. So there's mm. that. Yeah. Um, we stand the lady in white. Yeah. And it's said that, you know, there's nothing like really sinister there. People think that she is someone who passed away like near that site in the early 1900s, way before the park was ever built. But she probably feels super comfortable in the time period of Main Street. Yeah, and that's, that's why true. she's there. Cool. And I love that. Thank you, lady in white. Oh. Um, all right. So thank you all for indulging in our little Halloween trick-or-treat bonus episode. I'm a fan of true crime. My sisters are a fan of true crime and ghost stories and supernatural stuff. Caroline, she's a big proponent of, of spooky, weird yeah. things. So this, yeah. this was a nice little way of of sharing some of those things that send some shivers up our spine for one reason or another with you as they relate to Disney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stay safe this Halloween. Um, mm-hmm. Do something fun for yourself because you deserve it. Yes. 
So as we always say, you can find us on social media. On Facebook and Instagram, we are at Poor Unfortunate Podcast. On Twitter, we are at Unfortunate Pod. You can also email us, and our email address is pornfortunatepodcast at gmail.com. And if you really enjoyed what you heard, listen to some of our other episodes, and then join us in the Poor Unfortunate Fam, which is just a little forum for all of our listeners to talk about past episodes, to talk about anything Disney, and we would love to have you join us. All right. Happy Halloween, everyone. And, and Beluga Savruga. Witches. Witches. <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> Happy Halloween. <laughs>